Good morning. Once again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, is it not? Praise the Lord, we were all able to make it out this morning. Despite what the bulletin says, we're going to start Jonah today. We're going to start a new series, a series entitled The Depths of Compassion. And today's message is Jonah, Exclusive Compassion. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3 this morning. Jonah is a well-known historical record that many of our children learn at a young age. Captures the imagination of a great fish sent by the Lord, swallowing up a prophet who refused to obey the word of the Lord. And then vomits him up on the shores and Jonah goes. They even made a VeggieTales movie about it. And I promised my wife I wouldn't sing the song. But in this, so often we forget and we forget to look deeper into what is the book of Jonah written for? Why did God place it in the canon of scripture for us to look at, to study, to meditate upon? What is there in the life of Jonah that God has for us? So this morning we're going to look into a little bit of Jonah's life. And I know verses 1 through 3 isn't much. We're not going to get through a lot today. But I think today is going to be a good foundational point for us to start setting the stage for the rest of the book. The book consisting of very few pages in scripture, but packed full of the compassion of our God. Packed full of the heart of God for people. Not just people, but for the Gentiles. For those who are not called God's promised children, Israel. So this morning we're going to start off with a little picture. The year was 1891, and there was a bunch of fishermen fishing off the Falkland Islands, which is up north of the Labrador Sea. Very cold, but very rich in whale. And people use whale oil very often for candles, for soaps, for lots of other stuff. The blubber, they use all kinds of things. So in 1891, there was a fleet of two small, I wouldn't even call them ships, I would call them boats. They were pretty small. They each had a, one boat, had five people, the other one had two. They were out hunting sperm whale. They came across a huge sperm whale. The first boat was able to harpoon the sperm whale and slow it down. The second boat, with the two gentlemen, went around to go behind and come around the other side so they could bring their harpoon to bear as well. And as they were going around the sperm whale, the sperm whale breached the surface. Its tail smashed and overturned the small boat with the two gentlemen in it. They were not found. The other boat was forced to let the sperm whale go. So, three days later, they go out. Another fleet goes out, captures a huge sperm whale, brings them up on the beach. When they get them in hooked, they tow them right up onto the beach and beach the whales. Let the whales die, and then they process the whale. When they started processing this whale, they found the other man, the second man who was presumed drowned, and he was still alive, yet unconscious. And if you know anything about digestion, you know that the digestive acids are not going to be good for your skin, for your hair, for your nails, for anything else. The man was very, very pale, almost white. And this has happened many times. But this man was tended to and went about his life. Another Jonah. It is not a miracle that a huge fish swallowed a man, nor less a prophet. That has happened many times in the history of our culture. The miracle is is that the great fish heeded the word of God 
and his commands. And that is what makes our God glorious, that he can command all things, even the huge creatures of the deep. So this morning as we get into Jonah, keep in the back of your minds that we're not looking at, yes, we do have a great fish. Yes, we do have that fantastic story here for us. But that's not the focus of the book. The focus of the book is God's compassion and God dealing with the heart of a man. So let's pray this morning as we start off. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich mercies and compassion that you have showered upon your children. We thank you that we cannot ever plumb the depths of that compassion that is deep, that is rich, that in all of eternity we will be able to praise you for it. We will be able to stand in awe of who you are and what you have done. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us to teach us more of who you are and in light of who you are, who we are. Father, your holiness is beautiful, it is pure, and it is tough sometimes to digest. Father, we just ask that as we sit upon your word, that you would touch our hearts, that you would touch our eyes to see your truth, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would remove calluses, scabs, anything that is remaining of the flesh, and that you would replace it with the richness of your spirit. Father, I just pray that you will use my lips as an instrument and a tool for your glory and for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're not there, turn with me to the book of Jonah. It's a small book right before Obadiah, or right after Obadiah, I'm sorry. And it's a small book, but there's much there. This morning, let's read verses 1 through 3 together. And it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Not a long passage, but one that we're going to sit in this morning. Jonah is unique among the prophets. And I say that not because he was just a prophet, but because God has recorded for us in the book of Jonah, not Jonah's prophecies, but the heart of Jonah. Not only the heart of Jonah, but his words, the words that come from his heart. The words of Jonah as he spoke against the Lord. I am not going. But God also gives us his insight of how he deals gently with discipline with Jonah. And it's a neat thing to watch how God continually chides Jonah's heart, pricks it, pulls at it, tugs on the strings. God reveals to us not only Jonah's condition in his heart and his soul, but his loving discipline towards the prophet as he reveals his own heart for the Gentile people. God shows off his compassion for man, for all mankind, not just Israel but for the Gentiles, for those who do not know him, for those who are not expecting an encounter with a holy God. And yet he also spurns Israel once again to jealousy, to try to entice them back to himself. I've entitled today's message Exclusive Compassion because Jonah was under the impression that God's compassion was only for his people. It was only for the nation of Israel, those chosen by God to serve him, who had the law, who had the prophets which Jonah was one of them, that God's people were special. And in being special, they were exclusive. 
But that's not what God's heart shows us. Not even in the law. When God gave the law, he gave his heart. When he gave the law, he gave the reason of Christ. Because we cannot keep it. So Jonah's heart is often like our own. Many times we find ourselves despising God's compassion for those we deem less worthy of it. Do we not find ourselves quick to run from God's commands? God tells us to do something and we run from it. God tells us in the Great Commission to go forth, make disciples, baptizing them in his name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How often are we about his business? How often are we about the work of evangelizing the lost, of showing compassion, showing God's compassionate heart to a lost people? Much like in Jonah's day, the nations around Israel despised Israel. Why? Because they were a nation of hypocrites. But they were also a nation with God's power and God's word and God's holiness in their midst. They had a God that could act and destroy nations, could destroy other false gods with the breath of his word. God did many great things for Israel, but he did many great things for the nations. Sometimes we forget that God's compassion came to even one such as myself. It starts here in every single one of us. God's compassion came to us. We're not worthy of it any more than the next man, next woman, or the next child. And yet God has given his compassion and set it out for those who would call on his name, for those who would cry out at the end of themselves, I can't do this. I cannot satisfy a holy God. I cannot live a righteous and holy life. I cannot even keep the simple commandments. He gave 10. How many of them have we broke? Probably most of them. At one time in our life. And what did James say? If you falter at one, you're guilty of all. How can we stand before a holy God except save the blood of Jesus Christ? Are we quick to run? Are we quick to despise God's compassion? Are we quick to judge other people and say they're not worthy of it? Or they're not going to listen anyway? Well, how many times in the book of Jonah do we see a people that we could say that to? Wow, they weren't going to listen. Look at the Phoenicians that Jonah was on the boat with. Look at Nineveh. Look at the king of Nineveh. Look at Jonah. We still don't know what happened. God kind of leaves us off in that spot. Dealing with, the, dealing with the prophet's heart, and he doesn't give us the whole picture. We're just left wondering what happened. And that's okay. But it's in the depths, the immeasurable depths of God's compassion, in depths so great that we'll never exhaust them, in depths so vast that we'll never find its end even in eternity, it is there that we find that even though none are worthy, God is a God of compassion, of love, and faithfulness to those who are his own. Think of this. The gospel was always and is, but will not always be available. There will be an end. There will be a time when the gospel will not be made available anymore. It was available. In all of history, we see the building up of it. It is still available because we're not dead. Because God has not come back yet. But it will not always be available. Do we waste our time in not making known the truth of salvation? The truth of man's heart. This is the call of Jonah. 
This is what God is calling Jonah to do. And this is what Jonah despised. And yet, God's not done. We're going to look at our first point this morning. And we're going to look at the world of Jonah. The world in Jonah's time was a very great time of turmoil. A time of hatred. The Assyrian nation was at the height of its power. At this time, Jeroboam II was on the northern throne of Israel. And as his namesake says, he was a wicked man. He followed after the gods of Jeroboam, his namesake. Jeroboam, if you guys remember your history in Kings, was the first king that ended up splitting Israel into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You had the area of Jerusalem, and then you had the northern ten tribes. But during this time, and you can find this story in 2 Kings 14, Jeroboam II ruled between 793 and 753 B.C. During this time, Jeroboam had great power. God gave him the ability to take back much territory that was already taken over by the Assyrians. Verse 25 in 2 Kings 14 pinpoints Jonah's ministry. Some of his prophecy, it's not mentioned specifically, some of it is. But Jonah ministered in the northern region. It is astounding to me to see also that Nineveh, being the capital city of Assyria, was only 40 to 70 years away from when the book of Jonah took place to taking over and capturing Jerusalem and taking over Israel and sending many exiles. God's compassion didn't fail. It accomplished a purpose. Nineveh was about 500 miles north and east of Palestine. It's in what is known today as modern-day northern Iraq. It sits at the northern end of the Tigris River and is on, was on the eastern bank of the river. The Assyrians were one of the most brutal and antagonistic enemies of Israel. They hated Israel. They made that known. They were a very barbaric people, often practicing filleting their enemies alive, putting their heads on pikes, piling up skulls. They were a very brutal people. And they were very blasphemous people. We see that Rabshakeh, who was the mouthpiece of King Sennacherib, spoke much against Israel and much against the God of Israel. You can read for that for yourself in 2 Kings 18. They also worshipped the fish god Dagon. Dagon was not unknown. He was not a new god. He was a god of fertility and crops. Also sometimes pictured as a god of the afterlife. He was a Semitic god. Worshipped by not only Amorites, by the Elabites but also the Philistines. The Philistines were known for the fish god Dagon. The tribe of Asher had a small temple to Dagon in the territory of Beth Dagon, where the city got its name from. But also, there is a famous one in Gaza that you may remember from the book of Judges, chapter 16, where Samson spent his last breath destroying that temple. That was a temple to the false god Dagon. They were eventually destroyed, the Assyrians, and the capital of Nineveh in 612 B.C. by the Babylonians and the Medes. Once again, we go from one god to another. Over and over, we see the false gods of the people who come against the Lord and against his chosen ones. But this is the background. This is the people to whom God is calling Jonah to go to. Can't blame him for being fearful to walk through the territory of your enemy. The trust in God to keep you safe on a 500-mile journey through your enemy's territory that you know hates you with a passion. 
They were violent aggressors towards Israel over and over again. But is this not also a reflection of our hearts before Christ? Violent aggressors against the holiness of God? Despising the goodness and compassion of the Lord? Worshiping other gods, the God of ourself, the God of our pride, the God of lies, God of gluttony. We can go over and over and over and worship so many different things. Anything set up before the Lord is an idol. Anything. No matter how small or how big it is. Whatever we put on a pedestal that is more important than our Lord, we have set up an idol. This is the people to whom God is calling Jonah. So now that we've seen the world of Jonah, let's start in verse 1 and look at the man Jonah. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Jonah was a prophet. God spoke to him in a very unique way, as he did many of the prophets in the Old Testament. He spoke to him and gave him words to speak. We'll look at the calling of Jonah in a little bit, but he was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel during the time of Assyrian aggression. We just went over that. The name Jonah means dove. It's kind of interesting. At least I think it's interesting. Can you guys think of anything in the Old Testament that a dove was symbolic with? Okay, Holy Spirit. What else? There's many other things. What else? Peace. Okay. What were morning doves used for? Sacrifice. Yeah. For those who were what? Poor. That's interesting. Those who are too poor were able to use a dove for a sacrifice. Also, what about Noah? Did we hear about a dove during the days of Noah? So it's interesting. So his name means dove, but he's also the son of Amittai. His name means true to God. So this is a dove that is true to God. That is what his name means. It's interesting. And we find that struggle. We're called children of God. Do we not find that struggle in ourselves? Do you not see the parallel between Jonah and our own hearts? That struggle to obey God and to go to a pagan nation and to love them and show them compassion. He wasn't just there to say, hey, you guys are going to die. God's going to wipe you out. He was there to preach repentance. To call to them that a holy God has turned his eye upon them. He also hailed from the city of Gath Hefer, which is in Galilee. That's where Jonah came from. That's where his family came from. Humanly, we can understand his reluctance to go. We can understand the hesitancy of his heart to preach to the Assyrian people in Nineveh. We can also understand why he didn't want to go. Why he thought he could flee from the Lord. It would be like for us to go and to be called by God to go preach to Japan after Pearl Harbor. Or to go preach to the Iraqi people in Saddam Hussein and bin Laden after 9-11. Would it not be likened to that? A desperate struggle in our hearts to bring love and compassion to a people who hate you and murder your own people? Yeah, it would be. It would be very difficult. And yet, as we have learned, in Syria's brutal opposition, God turned his eye upon them. And God said, go. I believe that's why I really struggle with the book of Jonah. I really have a hard time liking Jonah. But oftentimes, it's because it kind of peels those scabs off our hearts. It cuts deep. It hits hard. Because oftentimes, we're like Jonah. We run. We despise the mercy of God. And we try to hide. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to focus on two words. And it says, or three words, his own love. God's love is different than our own. Catch that. God's love is different than our own. We need to learn to love with the love of Christ. We need to learn to understand what does that love mean? What does it look like? How is it imparted in my own heart? How has God taken his love and rooted it in my own heart to pull me out of my sin and to pull me into righteousness through Christ who bled and died for one who hated him, who spits in his face, who continues to mire the name of Christ by my own sin on a daily basis? None of us are pure. None of us are perfect, and yet we are loved, righteous children of God because he has chosen to send his compassion to us. This is the God that says, I have given my own love. Bless you. It is that love that we are to follow. It is that love that we are to take to a people who hate us. And do not be mistaken, our country hates Christianity. It's getting more and more obvious every day that those people that we are sought and need to love despise the name of Christ and will despise you because you wear the name of Christ. And are we not to name the name of Christ and to be bold? What What does the scripture say? If you deny my name, I will deny you before my Father. Take heed of that. It is a warning. It is not just put there haphazardly. God put it there for a reason. Take the name of Christ desperately serious. God's love is different than our own, but it's also our calling. It's also what makes us separate, different. It makes us unique, a peculiar people to love those who hate us. And yet this is what God demonstrated for us. Verse 2, the call of Jonah. The Lord said, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. The Lord called Jonah to get up, arise, get up, and go. In a very Paulian way, if I might say. Paul was a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. Jonah is being called to go to the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, I want you to be aware of that. This is very cool because this is very fluid. God has not changed. God's heart has not changed for people. Get up and go. Preach repentance to a Gentile nation, to the nation of Assyria, in the capital city of Nineveh. Nineveh, as it says here, and and we'll find out later, was a great city, meaning it had great breadth and depth to it. It took three days to cross it on foot. It was 50 to 60 miles to go across the capital city of Nineveh. It was many little cities kind of set up all around the capital, which made it so great and so vast. That's a big city to go 50 to 60 miles and to have to walk it in three days. It was a big city. It was a great nation. It was the heart of God and his great compassion on display when he spoke the commands, arise and go. Why? Because this city has aroused God's anger. It aroused also his compassion. God didn't tell Jonah to go just to say, hey, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days and then they're gone. 
What was Jonah's excuse later on of why he didn't want to go? Because he understood the heart of his God that he was slow to anger and abounding in love and kindness. Not just towards Israel. He was a God who relented when a people repented with a heart to seek after God. There's great wickedness, great sin, much enmity to God, much hostility and violence. They were a very brutal people. Do we, and we will see this later when the king said, put away from you your violence. They were a very violent nation. Jonah despised God's compassion for his enemies. He took it very personal. Jonah's life was full of issues with Assyria. But God was not done with Jonah's heart, nor is he done with our own. That is the point of the book of Jonah. God pursued Jonah with compassion. Not just Nineveh. Not just the other people we're going to get to meet. But Jonah and ourselves as well. And it's interesting because God's call oftentimes has that exposing agent of our heart. Here we see Jonah's reaction. We're going to get to that in the next verse, in verse 3. But God's call has a way of exposing our hearts when he tells us to do something. Our knee-jerk reaction? Pay attention to it. It's going to be your heart. Oftentimes our knee-jerk reaction is, ooh, and then, okay. But what do you do with it? Do you submit to the Lord or do you try to run? King David had much animosity in his days, and yet he knew nowhere could he hide from the Lord. Over and over we see in the psalm, I will never be able to get away from the presence of the Lord. Over and over, David understood this. Jonah thought he could run, and he tried. We're going to get into how he tried. So we're going to look at verse 3 now, and it's the last point, and it's the heart of Jonah. Verse 3 says, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's knee-jerk reaction? Run. Get as far away from the Lord as I can. Oftentimes, Israel confused God's presence as only being there at the ark, the ark of the covenant. Oftentimes, they forgot their God isn't confined to a box, a golden box. He's the God of heaven and earth. He's everywhere. He's controlling and holding all things together for his glory. Not only was he fleeing to get away from God's presence, he was fleeing with the hopes that the message that God had given him will not be preached. If I run away, nobody's going to preach to Nineveh. Nobody's crazy enough to go there, right? That was his hope. H.C. Woodring had a great commentary on the book of Jonah, and this is one point he said. He said God wanted him to go to Nineveh, a 500-mile travel northeast of Palestine. Instead, he decided to go east. 2,000 miles to the west. Nineveh's to the east. God wished Jonah to take an overland trip via the Fertile Plain and the Fertile Crescent. Instead, he took a very distasteful sea voyage because the Jews hated sea travel. God sent him to the greatest metropolis of the day, and instead, Jonah headed for the remote trading outpost on the very fringes of this known civilization. The Lord wished to go with his prophet. Instead, Jonah tried to flee from the presence and the power of his God. Tarshish is known and thought to be on the very lower southern end of the coast of Spain. Jonah wasn't taking a short trip. He was in it for the long haul. 
He was really running. He was going as far as he could think. There wasn't much known across the Atlantic Sea at that time. There was a lot of trade and a lot of travel. The Phoenicians were a great people of the sea, a very great seafaring nation. But most people didn't really know what was over the horizon. Jonah sought to run away. It's interesting, too, to note that the name Tarshish means contemplation. It's kind of funny. I like words. Words strike me. I enjoy looking at them. And thinking about it, Jonah was fleeing from the presence of God because he didn't want to contemplate the reason God was sending him to Nineveh. He didn't want to see the Ninevites repent. He didn't want to see the compassion of God come. Yet, in his seeking, he never made it to his end result. He never made it to Tarshish. We know that. We've all heard heard the historical account. He never made it there. Yet, he did make it to the end point of contemplation. God made sure that he had time to contemplate his calling. He had time to contemplate whether he was going to be obedient to the Lord his God. He had how many days in the belly of a great fish? Three. Three days. The other amazing thing is he survived, but he also had time to contemplate. Jonah understood the depths of the presence of God. We see later in the book of Jonah where he cries out, I'm at the roots of the mountain, the very bottom of the world. That's where Jonah was at when he was in the belly of the great fish. And it's in this time of contemplation. So his end result was, I'm going to go to the place of my own contemplation. God said, you're going to go to the place of my contemplation. That's where God's word needs to take us, to contemplate the truth of who he is, what we're here for, and why we're called. Do not be mistaken. Every single one of us is called. All of us have a calling on our life. It doesn't look the same for everybody, but we all have it nonetheless. Think about it. Why are you here? What is the point and purpose of your life? What are you growing to become? Are you here for your own self-pleasure? For living the American dream? The white picket fence? The good job? The nice car? Or are we here because we're here as a called people to proclaim the mercies and truths of the Word of God? Are we called to make disciples, to baptize, to give understanding, to rub shoulders, to uplift each other, to pray for each other, to hold each other up when we hit those hard times and those hard times come? When we find ourselves at the roots of the mountain, who's there to help you out? Who's there to pray with you? Who's there to help hold you up? Do you reach out or do you try to do it on your own? God didn't make us to live this life on our own. We aren't made to be hermits. Sometimes I think that would be a good life. But we're not made to be hermits. We're made to share the message of Jesus Christ. Jonah fled. He showed his heart. But God was not done. God had a great work to do. The gospel was available. The gospel is still available, but the gospel will not always be available. And I'm going to close with Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. For one such as I, filthy, dirty, wretched, poor, destitute. I could go on. There's a lot of words in the thesaurus that I could use. And I like words. But I know you get the point. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us in the depths of our sin. That you did not leave us at the roots of our flesh. That you did not leave us to ourselves to live and to die without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But as you call Jonah, you call each of us to share the good news of salvation. That our God is great. That he's compassionate. That he's loving. That he's patient. Lord, you are patient. Father, may you help us to fulfill our calling. May you help us to spur one another on to love and good deeds because Christ is worthy. Because your salvation is great and it has reached down to one such as myself. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to live in the light of your word, in the truth of who Christ is and what you have called us to. Father, we just pray that as we march through the book of Jonah, that you would continue to expose our hearts, Lord, where we have become callous. Father, where we have forgotten what you have called us to. Father, just use this time in your word to illuminate the glories of your compassion, to glorify your great name. And Father, may we go forth encouraged that you are with us and that there is nowhere that we can go, that we are outside of your presence. And we thank you so much for that promise and that blessing, knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And that Jesus Christ is alive today, yesterday, and forever. And we can celebrate that for all eternity and never go weary and tired of it. And we give the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.